So while we, in a sense, step back to recognize how various uh, aspects of our understanding need to come to play in, in, in reading your word, Lord, we, we want to remain those who are the object of your word, the ones to whom it comes, to, to whom it is working, on, on whom it is working, that we are the recipients of what you are doing through your word, and, and not merely those who stand in authority of, like, like somehow we judge your word. No, it judges us, and it changes us, and it transforms us. Yet we are called to study. We are called to engage it and to rightly divide it. And so we do so properly in the fear of the Lord, I pray. That's for you, In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> now, you're probably familiar at least to some level of, of Paul's statement to Timothy that he was to study to show himself approved, a man of God who would rightly divide the word of truth. I think that's the King James. I may be wrong on that, but that language, something of that order. It's familiar. Um, now, a couple of things. While that has application to all of us, also it has particular application. Timothy was caring for a church, um, shepherding a church. And, and, and so there's a particular unction for anyone that's going to be teaching the Word of God or uh, that they need to rightly divide the Word of God and to study, and, and that's, that's a priority number one in their life. Yet, at the same time, for all of us, I think principally we can learn from that that in all of our studies there is a right way and a wrong way, and, and we want to apply ourselves to that. You may not have the same responsibility in that as somebody whose uh, full-time calling is that, but yet there is a responsibility that we would engage the word rightly as opposed to haphazardly. And, and that's really the goal of this class, um, to engage it rightly. Why, why study the interpretation of Scripture? That's the first thing that I want to address. Why study the interpretation of, of Scripture? There's a, a story told uh, that occurred in 512 B.C., so half a millennia before Christ, as Darius of Persia led his armies north of the Black Sea, the Scythians uh, sent him a message comprised of a mouse, a frog, a bird, and five arrows. Kind of a weird message to get. A mouse, a frog, a bird, and five arrows. Darius summoned his captains and said, Gentlemen, our victory is assured. These arrows signify that the Scythians will lay down their arms. The mouse means the land of the Scythians will be surrendered to us. The frog means that their rivers and lakes will be ours, and the Scythian army will fly like a bird from our forces. However, an advisor to Darius said, um, Sir, the Scythians mean by these things that unless you turn into birds and fly away, or into frogs and hide in waters, or into mice and burrow for safety in the ground, you'll be slain by the Scythian archers. <laughs> Darius took counsel and decided that his advisor's interpretation was correct, and he beat a retreat. <laughs> now, that, that story illustrates the importance of rightly discerning what is meant in the text. It's, it's one thing to say, okay, here are the words. We, we can understand what the words say. Now, what do they mean? We understand this is, you know, um, uh, five arrows, a mouse, a frog, a bird. But, but what do they mean? And sometimes I think we, we fail to ask that question as we approach a text. We, 
read words, and maybe we pull them from a promise box, or we're reading our verse for the day, and and there's something there that captures us. And in, a, in, in one sense, I will say this, there is an aspect, and I want to be careful not to to completely ignore this aspect, but it, it's within its proper framework. There, there are boundaries to this. There is an aspect in which God can take his living word, and there's something that was spoken there that had, for a particular situation, that God is now going to speak to you in your particular situation and use it to speak to you. I, I grant that that happens, but let me say this. That meaning that occurs in that situation for you cannot be a meaning divorced from what it originally meant. It, it cannot be some other thing that's unrelated to that. God may use that and he may speak it today to you in a very living and active way, but that meaning has to very real way be connected to what it originally meant or I would challenge that you you, you might not be hearing the Lord okay <laughs> I would be really careful there because God is not schizophrenic okay I mean his word is coming to us in a very clear and, and forward way now more on that as we go some would, would would say well you know I don't want to interpret scripture I just want to take it for what it says now I'm guessing that since you're here, you've probably gotten past that point, but just in case, I think it's important to remind ourselves here. <clears throat> I don't want to interpret Scripture. I just want to take it for what it says. Okay, great. Now, what does it say? Well, it's, you know, it's, it's got these words, but what do those words mean? Words carry meaning. Words carry meaning. You know, there's some debate in the world of um, Bible translation as to whether you want a word-for-word -word translation or an idea-for-idea -idea translation. I personally think that debate's a little bit artificial. I say a little bit. While I think both have their place and both are important, and there's reasons for, for, for looking at both and why both sides have their argument, really, at the end of the day, aren't the words supposed to carry the idea? I mean, isn't that the general? I mean, yes. I mean, we, we want to make sure that we're translating the scriptures as Word for word is, is possible, but obviously where, where a translation of a word isn't carrying an idea, maybe there's some adjustment necessary to get it into our language. So I, I think those two sides might ought to um, stop debating all the time and come together and realize, and I think we do ultimately come together and realize, words carry meaning. And so when we look at the words of Scripture, we, we bring to them a meaning, we understand a meaning, but are we understanding the right meaning? Um, story told, an actual true story of a, an old country preacher who stood up in front of his congregation and said, and Jesus, he's reading from the King James, and Jesus charged them saying, says, look at that, get that, Jesus ran at them and said this. Well, I don't think that's what was meant by Jesus charged them saying. I mean, those are the words, you know. <laughs> Uh, neither does it mean that Jesus sent them a bill in the mail saying that you owe me this much at the end of the month. Jesus charged them saying, I mean, those are the words, okay? But what do they mean? Um, some would say, well, but I just take the Bible literally. I, I guess as that country preacher did. I mean, he took it literally. Um, but, but you see, that's a hermeneutic in and of itself. That assumes that it was intended to be taken literally in every place. And if I really follow that, then I would have to assume that God is a chicken, because under his wings I find refuge, and that he is a rock. 
literally. And the reality is he can't be both. So which one is it? Which one of those do I take literally or neither? Do I actually believe he's not an animate or inanimate object, but rather a spiritual being? So then what do I mean when I say under his wings do I trust? And what do I mean when I say he is a rock? Well, he is a rock is a very very clear figurative statement that, that upon him I am secure and stable and he's not going to move from under me. So, so that's not taking it literally. That's taking it in the figurative sense that it was intended to be taken in. And so those are some simple ways that we practice. We all practice hermeneutic all the time. Um, I remember as a, as, as a teenager, I was uh, 16 years old. I only know that because of what I was doing at the time and how old I was at that time, but driving from Arkansas to St. Louis, and my, my dad and I are driving back and forth on weekends because the house hadn't sold in Arkansas, and he'd gotten a job up there. And we're, I'm listening to some some cassette tapes. I don't know if some of you know what those are. But a little, never mind. And <laughs> listen to the cassette tapes of a, a preacher who was teaching on um, eschatology, end times Bible prophecy. Um, and, and he was saying that, you know, teaching on the book of Revelation, that, that he takes it literally. I mean, that the best interpretation is to take it literally, and that's the way that we need to take it. And then he went on to explain how that, that these um, um, locusts in the book of Revelation that had all this metal and different this parts of their description, how they were helicopters. They were Huey helicopters later in the message, not at that particular point. But I'm thinking to myself, wait a second. I thought he told me he took it literally. Now, if I take it literally, then I've got to have some locusts that have metal on them. Now, he's really stretching it to get the helicopters. I mean, really. I mean, that's, uh, I'd rather go with the locust with metal, I think, but I'm not sure that was right either. But so, so what do we mean when we say literally? The truth is nobody takes the Bible literally. There isn't anybody out there who takes it literally across the board. Because if you did that, you would sound like a crazy person. Um, because that's not how it was meant to be taken. That's not how we use language. And, and so nobody actually takes it literally. Some realize they don't take it literally and acknowledge that and have guidelines for when it's appropriate to not take it literally and when it isn't and, and so forth. And others don't realize that, so they just kind of pick and choose as they want to take it literally or not take it literally. And so we, we want to be careful when we, when we come up with things like, well, I just take it literally. Okay. Um, <clears throat> The scripture is intended to illuminate our paths or, or cast a light before us rather than merely support our position. I don't need to be going to scripture just to debate somebody and find, okay, here's why I believe what I believe. Because the truth is, if you're looking for something to prove your position, there's a pretty good chance you're going to find it. <clears throat> but that doesn't mean you've landed on the truth. Okay. What we want to do is approach the scriptures and say, okay, what is this saying? Forget my argument. Forget my discussion. Forget what I'm trying to find right now. What is this saying? I, I've told this story in a variety of times, but I can remember as a, a, a young preacher, uh, what I taught then, let's just say this, I'd be less than proud of, okay, rather ashamed of. Um, but there, there came a point when I began to question the theology that I had at the time because I began to, to wonder, because at least, you know, I had this going for me. I kept reading my Bible, you know, <laughs> kept reading my Bible, and I kept reading the New Testament. 
And it finally dawned on me that what I was teaching on a regular basis, I just never found, for instance, Paul writing something about that in one of his letters. I never found it to be the topic of conversation in the Scriptures. And it became puzzling for me why that was. And at some point I began to say, okay, then I, I really need to reevaluate. Because what is this saying? Not what do I believe and can I go find some verses to support it. I had plenty of verses to support what I believe. Of course, cut and chopped from what they were really about. But I had to go and say, what is this saying? And that that's what we want to do when we approach God's Word, is come with the idea of, what's it saying? What is this text arguing for? What is this text about? Of course, you might say, yeah, but this text was about something that happened, I don't know, 3,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, what, depending on what part of the Bible you're in. And so I want to read something that's about today. Well, you'll get there. But you've got to start with what it meant then, because today's meaning can never be divorced from what it meant originally. And once we understand what it means originally, we can move forward to say, okay, then how does that apply to us today? And how do we rightly understand that today? And that's very important. So the scriptures are to illuminate our path. Um, one Scottish author said, he, he uses statistics as a drunken man uses lampposts for support rather than illumination. And we don't want to make that error when it comes to the Scriptures. Using it, the Scriptures uh, like a drunken man uses a lamppost uh, for support rather than illumination, if you will. Um, one of the reasons why we need to have a proper hermeneutic, a proper understanding of how to interpret the Scripture, is because we don't have a proper fear or love of God. And when I say that, I'm not speaking in such a way that I know you differently than I know somebody else. It's because of the fall of man. Let's go all the way back to Genesis 3. Because of the fall of man, because we've been corrupted by sin, that affects our understanding of Scripture. And so we need to have guidelines that don't just leave us untethered to have it mean whatever we want it to mean. We, we need to be tethered to something. There are, there are rules of language that apply. If you receive a letter from... Um, Maybe you're, you're courting somebody and you're separated by distance and you write each other letters. Well, there are just, when, when you get a letter from that person, there are just some automatic rules of language that you use in reading and in understanding what they set, are saying. There's some cultural stuff that comes in so that if at the end of their letter they, they, they draw some X's and O's, you don't think that they're actually uh, diagramming a football play. Okay, or... Or, or, for instance, if there's a, you know, I heart you, and they've got a little heart in there, you don't take that, you know, you kind of wonder away, walk away wondering what they mean about bringing about this organ of the body. What's that have to do with our letter? I mean, there's rules of grammar that tell you that what's going on in this language, in this letter is, is about something in particular, and you, and so you take the language that's in there in that way, whatever phrases and expressions they use. When we come to the Bible, no less so are there, guidelines and rules of grammar that apply to whatever particular text that we're in. And we'll talk about those in particular in the, in the following two weeks uh, as well. Um, but we, we need to have something that tethers us. Um, there's, really, there's really one cure for our lack of the fear of God or our improper fear of God that we have to correct. And that one cure is to soak in the Scriptures. I, I, I'm convinced that the, the best hermeneutic rule that I know is to read a lot of this. I mean, that, that sounds kind of simple. 
but just read a lot of it. Now, and the reason I say that, it's not that I don't need some other guidelines, but if we read a lot of it over time, it will get at us. It will, it will make itself known. That doesn't mean it's just simplistic, but there is an aspect of it that if we just continue to soak it in, it's story. Things will begin to connect for us because we'll be reading it and going, oh yeah. Now that reminds me of what I read there, and oh, that's what they're referring to. There's a there's a relationship because there's a story that's going on in this book, and so things do become clear by soaking in the scriptures. And another reason why we need to read a lot of it is there's a worldview in the Bible that is often different than the worldview that we bring to it. Uh, we have a worldview. You watch TV, and I, I I watch shows on TV, and it's amazing to me how. Little mention of God is ever in a TV show, and if there is mention of God, it's usually in a skeptical or derogatory way. And and so essentially, you watch a a, a worldview in front of you that is all theists, it's without God. And they may not say they're atheists, they may not say anything negative about God, but it just he's just not there. You know, they get sick, they die, nobody talks about God. You know, I mean, it's just and, and so it's just this kind of worldview before you, and there is no people. Uh, you know, it works in the movies. People can can have repeated relationships with other people and still be happy all the time and, and nothing goes wrong and life is good because that's how the script was written. It doesn't work in real life, but that's how the script was written. And so you have this playing through your head that this is how life works. But as we read the scriptures, there's a different worldview going on in there, this perspective that's taking place. The Bible's worldview is radically God-centered. In the Bible, for instance, if a plague killed off 10% of the population, you might read something like, and God struck down the enemy. You know? Oh, yeah. But, you know, if we read somewhere that a plague killed, we'd say, okay, what bacteria got into the water stream? Or You know, I mean, we start analyzing it in a very materialistic way, and there's nothing inherently wrong with asking those questions, what happened, but we forget the other questions. What's behind this? What's the driving force that's going on? So there's this worldview that's going on. Um... In modern Christianity, we even, you know, even though we're Christians, we spend time answering the question, rather, how could God let this happen? And, and too often we try to, you know, defend God by saying, well, God didn't let this happen. This is this, this is that. But in the scriptures, it, God was so at the center of things, they had no trouble with just starting there and dealing with it. God doesn't need defending. I, I will suggest that. When we get to the cross, God's defense is made. God's defense is made at the cross because there we see... The God who is going to pour out his wrath on sin is the God who came to bear that wrath in our place. That's hard to deal with, admittedly. But it it, it undoes our construct about a mean and unfair God. It's, wait a minute, there's something else going on here that's beyond our full comprehension, but God's justice is radically infused with his love. and, And we can't get away from that. So read your Bibles and let it adjust how you view the world. That's vitally important. Now, admittedly, I, I'm reading through Joshua right now. One of the readings I'm doing in the course of the week. I, by the way, if you are looking for a Bible reading plan, there's one that I think we have them in the Resource Center. It's online. It's on my blog. It's it's on the church website. It's one I use that <clears throat> I saw it one day. I made some adjustments to it, and then we, we published it. But basically what it what it does is, is it... On any given day, you're reading in one book of the Bible. You're not reading in four or five different books. So that on that day, you're reading lengthy portions in that book. You might read four or five chapters in one book of the Bible. Now, the next day, you know, you won't get back to that book until a week later on the same day. Just like on a TV show. You can remember. Don't worry. It works. And, and 
just glance back, you'll be fine. And, and then the next day you'll be in maybe the New Testament, you'll be reading, you know, two or three chapters in an epistle. Or, and now there is difference in length. Some days are longer and, sh- and shorter so that there's some continuity here. And, and that's got its disadvantages, but it has its advantages, you know, what your schedule's like. So, but you, it, you, and you check it off as you go. But what it does is it allows you to soak in the storyline. You know, I don't like to read stories all chopped up. I'd rather read them in some sort of continuity. And Anyway, I've been using it for years. I've found it's been helpful to me. You might find it helpful. Um, but it, it, it allows the scriptures to go in and just soak them in. And you can do it slower or faster because it's not dated. You just check off the boxes as you get done. So if you're not up for you know, getting through the Bible in one year, get through it in two. I mean, hey, a year and a half, whatever it takes. I mean, um, five if necessary, just you know, keep on reading. Um, I want to talk about some foundational convictions to understand the Bible, foundational convictions for understanding the Bible. Uh, and these are important foundational convictions. One, um, the Bible, both Old and New Testament, is God's Word. This is God's Word. Not just the red letters. Now, there's nothing wrong with the red letter Bible, but i got to tell you, I, I struggle a little bit with that, because here's what people automatically, not automatically, some people automatically do with that. They, they oh, I, these are the words of Jesus. Yes. So is this. All of it. It's the word of God. And, and so I think we've got to be careful to recognize. Now, it is helpful at times to find things, you know. Oh, that's in red. That was a quote by Jesus, you know. I mean, that's helpful. Um, but but we want to recognize that, that the Bible is the word of God, not just the New Testament for that matter. Now, Granted, the New Testament is sometimes easier to get along with for us because we're, we're more familiar with it, and it's talking about Jesus, and there are admittedly some rather confusing things in the Old Testament. But truthfully, without the Old Testament, that we wouldn't have any ground for understanding the New. The New is built solidly on the Old, and um, I might describe it this way. <clears throat> um, if, if I throw out the Old Testament and I start reading new, it'd be like going into, uh, let's say you're going into the medical field. You know, in the medical field, at least the first year, if not the second year, I'm, I'm not sure I've not gone through it, but you spend a whole lot of time learning terminology. I mean, you're learning terminology. I mean, you're memorizing terms, memorizing terms. Why? Because they're teaching you a whole new language. And it works in almost any field of, of expertise. You, you've got to learn a language so that they can then begin talking to you with that language. And I have to explain everything in immense detail because the language helps them get past that. And so, if you wonder why people use funny terms, well, it's because it, it helps them get through a lot more, a lot quicker. So that's what you know you do in the medical field. Well, if if you went through the first year of medical school and you learned all that terminology and you got to the second and someone said, okay, now forget everything you learned, and then they just start talking, and you know what? It doesn't really matter what you think these words mean. Just whatever you feel like they mean, that's fine. I don't know. I'd want one of those doctors. I mean, that would be a very scary situation. And to throw out the Old Testament would be really like doing that because the meaning of the new, those words, the language, redemption, the cross, all of that, the Lamb, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, it's found in the Old. God spent thousands of years, as it were, teaching us a language using physical things we could see, feel, touch, in order that when He was wanting to communicate to us more fully about unseen realities, we would have a means of grasping those things and understanding them. Don't throw away. It's more than a vocabulary, but please don't throw away the vocabulary. 
if you will. Now, I'm not diminishing it to that, but it vitally is that. It gives us an understanding of things in a way that we have to carry into the new. Now, admittedly difficult. I'm reading Joshua and you know, they're slaughtering villages, and men, women, and children. Um, I, you know, I don't know about you, but yeah, I, you know, I get to those verses, and I don't care how long I've been reading them, I, I still stop and go, yeah, whoa, that's serious. In fact, I think I do that more now than I did when I was a young Christian. I, I think they give me pause more now than they did 20 years ago, because I've got kids, and well, 25 years ago, I just had my first one, and it, it, it's just a different perspective um, that I bring to it. But we must because the scriptures are inspired by God. Um, it's a different category than any other book. Second Timothy 3.16 and 17 says all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. Because it is God's word, you see, it's infallible and it's authoritative. It's a unity. They don't, the old and new don't contradict each other. It's a storyline. We'll talk more about that, but the Bible is a storyline. It's, it's from start to finish, it's a storyline, and that's vital, understanding that storyline. The Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. The Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, I, it, the Bible actually does a good deal of explaining itself. Now, you're probably not going to find that the first time through. Okay? Um... There's a doctrine, and it's a funny doctrine. It's, it's called the perspicuity of Scripture. Anybody know? Well, I know some of you do. Someone want to volunteer with the perspicuity of Scripture means what that doctrine means? Yeah, it's 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 clear. It's understandable. And, and my, you know, somebody, <laughs> um, somebody, you know, asked me, "Do you believe in the perspicuity of Scripture?" And I, I say, "Yes, as much as I believe that that word is clear." In other words. <clears throat> I think, I think the Bible is as clear as the word perspicuity, which is to say this. If I do the work, I can find out what it means. It will make itself known. I'm not saying, it's not like hidden in such a way that you can't find it, but it is spiritually understood on the one hand, so we need God's help. We need the grace of God. We need the work of the Spirit. And it's not just going to be given to you so simply. It, it takes work to understand what is there. And so we've got to come at it willing to do the work. Now, there's some benefit you gain. See, the, 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 and I don't, I don't have time to get into all this, but there's an economy set up in Scripture where, where you, know, you spend your full time doing one thing, but the, through your giving, people who spend their full time doing what I do can, can at least help you along the way and give you some things and shortcuts. And I get to work all week at understanding the text, and then I bring it to you on Sunday. It's not wrong for you to, I mean, just use that all to your advantage because, frankly, you paid for it, so it's yours. I mean... Use it. It's good for you to go with, okay? I'm grateful that you can, and I'm grateful that I get to serve in that way, so it's yours to use. So that's, that's part of God's economy, and that's what God has set up. However, you too, at some level, are going to have to apply and work at when you're, you're working through text, and yes, I'll give you some shortcuts along the way, but you've got to jump in and begin to understand, well, why did he say that? And it's helpful just for you to understand as we're going through something, I'm saying it. You know, he didn't just Pull that out of thin air. There's something behind why that was there. That doesn't mean I don't occasionally pull things out of thin air, but <laughs> I, I got to be careful not to. And you need to guard me on that and ask me, did you pull that out of thin air? But uh, my goal is not to pull things out of thin air. But I too have to watch uh, my own sinful tendencies. So that is 
That's something we need to watch each other in. So, Bible's best commentary on the Bible. Uh, when when one, one part of Scripture will shed light on another. When faced with difficult sayings or, or difficult passage, let the clearer passage direct our understanding of the less clear passage. Symbolic sections should not overrule direct or clear statements. And those are just some basic guidelines. You know, I'm reading something in the book of Revelation, and I don't see anything about it anywhere else in the Bible that would, would, would corroborate my understanding of what that text is saying. There might be a good chance that I don't understand it right. I mean, just logically, this is a figurative book. Whether we like it or not, it's a figurative book. It's visionary. It's intended to be. So I've got to let it be guided by the more clear texts that are in the Scripture. More on that at a later point. Our motives matter. Uh, we must read to understand and obey. We talked about that a little bit already. Um, but we can't understand the message that we are actively resisting. At least usually we can't, unless God just miraculously says, boom! Sometimes it does that for our sake. Um, Titus tells us, avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person and once, then warn them a second time after that, have nothing to do with them. So there were people in the church that were, I mean, they were willing to wrestle the Bible with you, but they wanted, I mean, they were just being divisive. They were wrestling through things, just being argumentative. They, they loved the argument for the argument's sake. And we really want to be careful with that when we're handling the Word of God, because while it's good to have debate around Scripture, I think that's healthy and good. We want to have a healthy atmosphere for debate. It can never be argument for argument's sake. It, at the end of the day, it has to be that we want to understand truth and let it work on our soul. And we all in the room want to humble ourselves under what the truth is saying and not just win that discussion. Okay. So those are important things. Now, there are some important tools. And I'm, I'm going to spend a ton of time here, but um, this will help some of you maybe more than others. But I, I want to, um, to, to outline some basic tools that will be helpful for you and maybe some that you need to get rid of. Um, there's nothing, nothing worse than a bad tool. I mean, I, I don't do much work on things, but uh, when I am working on things, I want to have the right tool. And I, I spend time at yard sales, so most of my tools came from the yard sale. But I know I, I don't want to buy the, the screwdriver or wrench that was made in China. I want the one either made in the USA, made in Germany. Worst case, Japanese steel is pretty tough. And so I, 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 I want to get a good tool that's going to, to last because the last thing I want to be doing is pulling really tight on a wrench and it slips and gives way and next thing you know my hand's all cut open, okay? Not a good scene. And so the right tool is important. And, and when it comes to Scripture, you want to have some right tools. So a good everyday Bible for devotional purposes. I recommend just having a good Bible that has some marginal cross-references, maybe to, to reference other portions of Scripture. Um, I like to have one that has margins large enough to take notes. Now, lately, I've been, last couple of years, I'm actually doing my devotions um, in my Kindle. Now, some people, there's no way they're going to do devotions in a Kindle. And believe me, it's okay. I mean, it's not a cursed practice. It's okay to use a Kindle for devotions. And I can take notes in there. That's a little harder for checking cross-references, but um, I keep a cross-reference Bible right next to me, so that works. Um, I like having margins for taking notes if I'm using a regular Bible. Um, I will give you a little caution regarding study Bibles. Study Bibles are both wonderful, and at the same time, I think you've got to have a caution with them. Okay? A good study Bible can be wonderful. A bad study Bible can be really bad. Um, but even a good one, here's the thing. 
be careful to make sure you keep clear distinctions between what the Bible says and what somebody says about the Bible. Okay? If I have a study Bible that's on my shelf, I do have a couple of them on my shelf, and I might pull them from time to time and look at what they're saying about something. But for me, as a habit, I want to be reading the Scriptures, contemplating the Scriptures, and referencing either a commentary or a study Bible. Because a study Bible, the stuff outside the Scripture part, is like a commentary. And you don't, you don't want to let it constantly rule what you're reading. Let the Scriptures speak. Um, there are several good Bible translations, and I recommend you have as many as you can, at least three or four really good Bible translations. And a couple of them that, that I think... Well, here, here's the one. If you had to have four only, here are the four I'd recommend maybe right now. Uh, New American Standard Bible. Good Bible to have. Very literal in how it translates uh, in terms of uh, word, you know, more of a word for word. The English Standard Version is an excellent one. Uh, moving a little bit less literal, but it's, it's a very, very good one. The NIV, which moves the other way, it's more what they call idea for idea, uh, which is putting it in the language of our day. Um, and again, this is on a spectrum because they, they all do this to some degree or another. So it's you know, on a spectrum. Uh, maybe somewhere between the NIV and the ESV, a little closer to the ESV would be the, uh, it's a fairly new one out called the Christian Standard Bible or the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Um, it came out about five years ago, I think, in the New Testament or so. And, and then they've come out with Holman, done a revision on it recently. Um, actually, I'm reading through that one this year in my devotional time. I, most years I switch up what translation I'm reading. And I've, I've really found it quite enjoyable. So um, it's good. It's, it's, I like some of its literalness and how it, it keeps things consistent. So that's a good one. Uh, another one to have that if you find a copy of this or can pick one up, it's, it's helpful. Uh, Young's Literal Translation. It's not something you want to read all the time, but you check a verse. It's a little bit more, you know, here's how the sentence structure might look or a more direct translation might look of it. Um, all those are done by, by Greek scholars who are, you know, good. They're done by scholars from various denominations, so they're not just planning it toward one belief or another. They're all they're all good translations. Um, and, and that's your most important tool, is the Bible. Okay? That's your most important. A notebook or a journal or maybe use a computer, so a Word doc is good just to make notes of things. Um, we'll talk more about what things to note later. Um, Sometimes I'll print out, if I'm studying a text in depth for a lot of study, I'll take and copy that text from like a Bible program into the Word doc and double space it. And so I can break down the sentence structure, I can outline the text, I can make notes in there, I can draw lines and arrows with you know, the mouse in there. And so um, <clears throat> I'll even print them and I'll, I'll highlight in different colors for different things or I'll highlight in the computer screen depending on which way I'm going. Um, but that can be helpful, but, but working with the text, thinking about it, circling words that you want to... Wait, notice how often that word shows up. You know, it might have something to do with it. Those kinds of things can be, can be helpful. Some other basic tools um, of concordance. So you find something that you're going, I know I've read somewhere. That might be helpful. But another kind of concordance, and some Bible programs do this, which can take the place of this, but another kind of concordance is called an Englishman's concordance, where... And you can look up everywhere where this particular word is found in, you know, in, in, in the uh, New Testament. So it's, it's a Greek word. Where else is this found? Um, a Bible dictionary. If you're looking at a, the name of a city, tell me a little bit of background. If you're looking at 
a particular word or topic that's there, you can look up and find out a little bit more about that. You, you read Shepherd, you know, so what was the culture of the Shepherd like? You can look up Shepherd. And it, it helps fill in the backdrop to what you're, what you're studying. Um, some commentaries, uh, good commentaries in particular. Now, there are different kinds of commentaries. Um, some commentaries are what, what I would refer to as pastoral commentaries, which means they're basically sermons that are written out about a text. Um, and those are helpful. But probably not what you're looking for if you're really trying to understand the, the depth and meaning of the text, so that they can be very helpful devotionally. Um, there are commentaries that really just talk about what the Greek text or the Hebrew text means and says. In other words, what is the sentence structure? What's going on here? What is the author doing here? And now those, I think, they're harder to read through and they make very... I mean, if you have insomnia, for instance, that will cure insomnia. And I say that jokingly because truth is, that's my favorite kind of reading, but that's just a little weird, okay? So, uh, just because I do it, I, I, I enjoy studying those kinds of books and that's probably where I do most of my reading uh, outside of Scripture itself. And, and so they're very helpful. But I will say this, get more than one because... What I find, I like to read at least three guys on one text that, that they're breaking things down because they're, they're, they'll all give you the reasons for what they're thinking is going on, and then they'll argue for why theirs over some other opinion is better. But I like to read all their arguments against each other, and, and you kind of go, well, wait a minute, that's a flawed argument, or, oh, wait, that works, or, you know. So those are the kinds of things that you, as you get more in-depth on the text, you might be able to use. But even more important than a commentary, have a good... Um, Old Testament or New Testament survey, and, and a real simple one that we keep. Um, okay, this is it right here. Um, how to read the Bible book by book. It's, it's a simple survey of each book of the Bible. And so you get into a book. I'm going to study, for instance, let's say, uh, you know, the, the Gospel of John. And I go in here. Now, well, here's Acts. We'll just say for Acts. It... it, it it kind of talks about what's the content, you know, of, of, of the book of Acts, the author, the date, recipients. What is the emphasis here? It gives an overview, section by section. Okay, here are the basic sections and what's going on in each of those sections. And it walks through it, kind of giving a little bit more detailed outline. And then it has like a brief summary at the end of what's going on in the book. So this is simple. You can read each of those in five or ten minutes. So you're going to study the book of Acts. You'll want to take some time to read that. Or the book of Esther. You'll want to take some time to read that. And this is solid. It's, it's written by Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart. Um, and, and, and it's a helpful one on a, an entry level, I think. A really good one. And frankly, now my, I, I love reading the introductions in commentaries. Like thick commentaries, you'll have like a 60-page introduction. And these are like five-page introductions. But truthfully, after I read two or three 60-page introductions, sometimes I'll come over here and read this, and I'll think, boy, he, he nailed it a little better. So, I mean, it's, 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 it's a good clarifying, it's a, it's a good starting point for sure, and I would encourage you to, to at least have something like this in your arsenal. Um, by the way, um, another good book just on how to understand your Bible, kind of covering hermeneutics, what we're talking about here, um, is this uh, how to understand your Bible. These are resources that we have in our Resource Center and table, I think we're here tonight. Um, <clears throat> while I'm on that, I talked to the fact about the fact earlier that the Bible is a, has a storyline, and we'll talk more about that. But God's big picture, facing the storyline of the Bible, is a great one. Uh, Goldsworthy's book, According to Plan, is another great one. A little more, you know, a little thicker, a little more in depth. 
are both excellent. Just to get the, the concept that the Bible is one story, it's one redemptive plan of God from cover to cover. And when we understand that, it really helps us bring the parts together. You know? Vital um, <clears throat> Okay. Uh, another, another tool, a lexicon. That's just a fancy way of saying a, a book that kind of like a dictionary of the Greek or the Hebrew words that are going on there. You can look up what a word means in, in the Hebrew or in the, in the Greek. Um, but it's important to remember this, and I want to give you a little caution. Um, <clears throat> a word doesn't mean all of its definitions everywhere it's used. And, and here's a danger. I, personally, I, you know, some of you are going to get mad at me for saying this. I'm used to it. So and, and, and I don't mean that literally you have to do this. But if you had an amplified Bible, personally, I just recommend you toss it. Okay? Now, it's not that you have to go toss it. It's not evil. But, but the problem I have with the Amplified Bible is this. And here's where you just need to be cautious with the Amplified Bible at, at a minimum. Okay? You'll be reading along and, it, and you know, you, you come to a word and it, it will have like, you know, the five meanings of that word in that sentence. And, well, it might not mean those five meanings in that place. And we tend to read it as if it could mean any, you know, it's like pick and choose. Oh, I like that one. We'll go with that, you know. Well, okay, that would be like, let's go back to Jesus charged them saying, well, that word charged has a number of meanings, but I, you know, so do I, you know, and Jesus ran at them, Jesus built it on their credit card, Jesus electrified them, Jesus, you know, is that really what it means when he said Jesus charged them saying? And the answer, of course, is no. And, and that's the problem I have with trying to just kind of amplifying it and saying, okay, here's all that that word can mean. Well, great. But it's not all that that word does mean in this particular place. It doesn't mean all of those here. It means what it means here. It means, and the way you get that is by a couple of things, and maybe this is oversimplifying, but the way we talk to each other. You might say, okay, what was the paragraph about? What was the sentence about? How does it fit in that context to say, for instance, Jesus charged them saying? Okay, and more so, gee, who was talking if it was Paul? Had he used that word recently? Had he used it in the same book, the same letter? Had, does he use it often in his various letters? How does he use it in his various letters? Because for Paul, a word might carry a meaning that's really um, skewed in one direction on that spectrum of meanings, whereas, say, Mark might use it, for example, over in his gospel, you know, in the spectrum of meanings, he uses it skewed over this way, more in this direction. Now, that doesn't mean Mark can't use it. I mean, Mark's got the same language Paul's got. But, but those flavor or help us understand how is this word being used in a particular place. So one of the things, I mean, I, I think is helpful. That's why, you know, I recommend your most basic tools or several good Bible translations. Because, frankly, those guys that are translating those three or four good translations you have are probably smarter than you and I are at translating Greek and Hebrew. I mean, I don't know, they've been doing it a while. <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> and so, I, I, I want to know, you know, and if I'm, if I'm going to deviate, if I'm not finding what I'm, I'm thinking it might mean in those, then, then I'm really going to be skeptical of what I'm thinking it might mean, and I'm going to have to really explore. That doesn't mean I never go there, because there are times when I'm compelled by the text to have to go there. Occasionally I'll read their arguments for why they, they go there, and I'm, I'm not buying the argument because logic tells me otherwise. So, doesn't mean you can't disagree with them, but 
Well, that ought to be the exception, not the rule. Because as a rule of thumb, let, let's just be real. Those guys are way smarter at translating Hebrew and Greek than we are. And they're studying the context, and they're studying what's going on there. And so they're probably going to get it more right than we are. And so just you know, use that as a good guideline as to what does that word mean there. And it, obviously, as you read the various translations, there is some variation that goes on there. So there's some room there. You know, there's some room. The Bible wasn't written in English, and, and so we do have to work with the fact that we're crossing both a language barrier as well as we're crossing 2,000 years plus uh, in trying to understand the text. So it's going to take some work, um, but we want to be careful. So that's my caution on things like the Amplified Bible. There's a new one coming out I've heard that's similar to that. I don't remember what it was called. But, anyway. Have a plan. Um, basic, but have a plan for studying your Bible. Um, jumping around, kind of haphazardly reading, it works for a season, but you'll find over time that you gravitate towards your favorite books and away from the ones you don't like as much, so you're not getting those in. So if you have a plan that gets you through it, I think that's foundational to all Bible study. And then if I'm going to study a particular book, that kind of builds on that foundation. And if we're working through Isaiah, for instance, as we did, or First Corinthians, as we're going to, that needs to build on top of my regular study of the breadth of Scripture and, and, and building that foundation. Um, now, how to proceed. And, and we're going to touch on just the first part of this. And we probably won't even finish that, but we'll try to touch on the first part of this tonight. Um, in order for Scripture to illuminate our path, I, I some people like this kind of thing, personally, whatever. But, but they like uh, acronyms that kind of help, you know, remember what am I supposed to do as I approach it. So I, I took my, my lesson and I decided, is there a, a reasonable acronym that, that relatively easily fits this? Because I couldn't find one that I particularly liked. So, um, and, and, and I, it's real simple, light, L-I-G-H-T. They, they will outline what we're going to cover tonight and in the next uh, two weeks from this point forward. Uh, the first one is, is, is we're going to study scripture, look. And then the second one is inquire. And by inquire, I mean inquire of God. Pray. We're going to understand the scriptures. We've got to pray about what we're reading. Pray and ask God for illumination and help. And by the way, I do purposely have that after look. Not that I don't believe you should start with prayer. You should. But I also believe that after you've done some study, it's good to spend time praying through the text. More about that later. The G, eh, I could have just called it geography, but we're going to call it genre and geography, and we'll explain why there's a... There's a geography, a geography that the text is in, which is really its context. And next week we're going to talk about the context of a particular verse on three different levels. There are three levels of context that we're going to talk about. And really, we could call it a fourth level of context, which is its genre and how it's given, or more of its culture that fits in the geography. You know, what's the culture of this particular text? So uh, those are what we're going to look at in the next two weeks more in particular. Um, and... Yes, the H is, is a stretch, but it's it's hallelujah. The, the scripture is first and foremost, and I the, the H and the T, a lot of people have, you know, application. We've got to apply it. Well, I'm a little leery of just saying, okay, what's its application? Because what is its, you know, I don't want to turn the Bible into a to-do list. Okay, this is my to-do list that I live by. The first thing that scripture intends to do is it intends to cause my heart to worship God. So how does this text teach me to worship God? That's the H. How does this text teach me to worship God? Or, hallelujah, praise to God. How, do, how, do, how does it train my heart to worship God? What about God does it 
cause worship for me and how does it orient me toward God? So that's the, the first part of, quote, application, if you will. And then the T is transformation. What is the transforming effect that this text intends to have on my life? How am I to think God's thoughts after him to renew my mind? How am I to have Christ formed in me? How do I love my neighbor more in light of this? How do I live the gospel? How do I have Christ live in me more because of what I've learned from this text? So the the hallelujah, the transformation in my worship of God and then the transformation of my life that this text intends to have. Those, those five things will help you as you're studying a text. I think, remember, what are the important things to keep in mind? And tonight we're going to look in particular at the look, the observation, as some call it. How to, let's observe the text. So let's just jump into that in the few minutes we have. Um, we'll probably pick up next week there and, and talk a little bit about it just to do the time. But one, read. Observe the text by, by reading Studying a passage in depth, it might be good. If you're gonna, let's say you're gonna study the Book of Galatians, and you want to study the third chapter in particular. Well, hey, that's good. Read the whole letter first. It takes you what, five minutes or less? Read the whole letter. Um, if you're a slow reader like me, maybe two. Okay, I get sidetracked, whatever. Okay, but it's a short letter. So, so 